Good morning, church. I've got an exercise, a warm-up exercise. Are we ready? John's ready. Here we go. I need to, I need to tell, I, what I'm testing to see is whether or not you recognize what's happening and you know what's happening next, okay? This is, this is a test of your, I don't know what it's a test of, but it's a test. Are you ready? <clears throat> Do we know what this is? Is this the simplest thing ever? Like, Baptists could almost do this hand clap. <laughs> you said it, not me. I was going to give them the credit. That is, I don't know if you've ever thought about it, and I've been thinking about it a lot because my kids have now learned that song or some parts of it, and they just, like, we were in the van last night driving from Ormond Beach, and uh, Grant and Sadie just in the background, we I'm like, yeah, I love it. Like, after 15th time, like, I get it. Like, you're rocking me, man. Like, let's cut it out. <clears throat> Have you ever thought, it, it struck me recently because Riley wanted to learn that drum part. And I'm like, I can teach you that drum part. But we were listening to the song, and I had never, ever thought about it. That song is only that. It's this, the whole time. And the idea is... That when it gets played live, the whole audience plays the song and the, and the band just sings it. And then I watched a movie recently that like they, that's actually the concept for the song. I didn't ever realize it. I picked up on it and then I learned it. So I thought that that was fascinating. There, here's a, a rock group who figured out how to get the audience to play the song for them so that everybody can be engaged. Everybody can participate. Like that song is literally the audience doing the, the stomping and the clapping. And then Freddie Mercury singing the, the song, and then a ripping guitar solo at the end. That's the whole thing. And what's crazy to me is that it's on the radio. Like, there are no other songs on the radio that are like that song. It's unique. I think it's very, very, very interesting. And something else, and this is probably me thinking too much, because I do that occasionally. <clears throat> if that's the concept of the song, who is doing the rocking? When, 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 we're, when we're thinking, like when we're singing along, we're doing the clapping. We're the ones playing the song. We're clapping it out. They can't play the song if we don't play it, right? So who is we rocking? We will rock you. Who is singing to who? It's a conundrum. These are the things that keep me up at night. Like if you wanted to know, like I'm a little bit of a nerd about these kinds of things. Who is, like I, I care about lyrics and I care about uh, the way that we sing things. And so I think, who is singing to who? Yes, both and. And this morning as we come, as we go to this last chapter, this last section of our question, where do we fit? I think we're going to come into a conundrum similar to the one posed by We Will Rock You. You ready to venture into that with me? <laughs> Let's pray together. Father, I thank you so much for this morning. Lord, I thank you for art, and thank you for the way that um, people express themselves. I thank you that as the creator of all things, you have made us to be creative like you. And I thank you that occasionally the things that we create can make us ponder the nature of you 
and the things that you have made and the way that they're supposed to work, not simply just reflecting on the way that they are. Lord, I pray that you would guide us in your spirit today, that you would give us understanding in your word. And Father, that you would change our hearts to be more like you here in order that we might live to be more like you throughout the rest of the week. It's in your name that we pray. Amen. So we're going to be closing this series this morning asking the question, where do I fit? And we're going to be doing that by looking in 1 Corinthians chapter 14 and at verses 26 through 40. So if you've got a Bible or you'd like a Bible, would you like a Bible? No? Okay. If you'd like a Bible and you want to look at it in the story Bible, it's on page 796. And I've got to find it. Normally I have it open up here, but not today. 796, we're going to be in 1 Corinthians chapter 14, verse 26. First Corinthians 14, beginning in verse 26. I'll read that first paragraph. What then, brothers? When you come together, each one has a hymn, a lesson, a revelation, a tongue, or an interpretation. Let all things be done for building up. If any speak in a tongue, let there be only two, or at most three, and each in turn, and let someone interpret. But if there is no one to interpret, let each of them keep silent in church and speak to himself and God. And to God. Let two or three prophets speak, and let the others weigh what is said. If a revelation is made to another sitting there, let the first be silent. For you can all prophesy one by one, so that you may learn and all be encouraged. And the spirits of the prophets are subject to prophets. For God is not a God of confusion, but of peace. So let's pause here. Here, um, we're coming to a conclusion, obviously. We're closing our sermon series, and, and in this letter that we've been looking at, Paul's coming to the end of a topic that he's been going through, he's been di- dissecting. So, 1 Corinthians is a letter that was written by the Apostle Paul, who started the church in a town called Corinth. And what we know about Corinth is that it was kind of like the Las Vegas of its time. Um, What happened in Corinth stayed in Corinth. There was sex and drugs, and and they just kind of did their own thing. And the gospel got a hold of people there, and a church was started through the ministry of Paul. So Paul goes on, and he starts other churches, because that's kind of what Paul did. He just kind of started a church and went on. And he gets word back that there's stuff going on in Corinth, in the church of Corinth, that doesn't exactly line up with the gospel. And then, on top of that, he gets a letter from the church of Corinth that's saying, hey, you taught us this stuff, but we think we kind of know better than you now. Like, we're spiritual, and we, we know that you taught us the, the basics, but now we're super spiritual, and we kind of got a handle on this. So, like, you just do your thing, and we're going to do us, right? We'll do us. And so Paul writes a letter. This is the letter, 1 Corinthians. To them, one, to address the rumors that he's heard, and two, to answer the questions that they've written about. The section that we're talking about is in response to a question that they posed, and they actually posed it all the way back where we started in chapter 11. Or no, excuse me, chapter 12. So we're coming to the end of this section, and he's saying, look, in conclusion, if I'm going to sum up everything I've said from chapter 12 to the end here in chapter 14, this is what I want you to know. He says, when everybody comes together, everybody has something to give. 
Remember, he's, we started off explaining that God gives us supernatural diversity for everybody's good. We get spiritual gifts when we come to Christ. When we turn to Christ and we touch him, his, trust him, excuse me, when we turn to Christ and trust him, his spirit indwells us and gives us spiritual gifts, gives us a special gift that makes us more different from everybody else in the group that we're a part of. And he gives us that supernatural diversity for everybody's good. So when you come together, everybody has a different gift, right? Each one has a hymn, a lesson, a revelation, a tongue, or an interpretation. So we each have something to contribute and let all things done for the building up. Then he says specifically to the church in Corinth, because they had kind of gotten in this habit, it seems, that they'd gotten in this habit where whoever got to speak in tongues, that was the most spiritual person. And so everybody was trying to speak in tongues, and nobody could really understand what was going on, because they're all speaking a language that nobody understands. And so he says, look, if somebody speaks in tongues, let there be only two or three at most, each in turn, and let someone interpret. Don't just let stuff happen that isn't clear. It needs, there needs to be a level of clarity in it. So everybody brings something to contribute, and everybody contribute in a way that is clear for the building up. Because, and then he says, prophets get up and speak, which is explaining God's view of the news. Um, and verse 33, I think, is, is the key here. For God is not a God of confusion, but of peace. See, worship that honors God reflects his character. And this is something that I trying, was trying to communicate to the kids. Worship that honors God reflects his character. There are all different styles of worship. There are all different kinds of practices that we can include in our worship practices. And yet, if they don't reflect God's character, then we've missed the mark and we're wasting our time. Because if what we do isn't a reflection of God then it's just a reflection of us, and I ain't worthy of being worshipped. Right? And this is kind of a simple question, but where do we most clearly encounter a description of God's character? In the Bible. So our worship, if it is to reflect God's character must be based on what we understand about God's character from what he has already said, his spoken word, his living word, his active word, the Bible. And, and this even, I don't know if you're aware of this, but this is something that fascinates me. When God started with the nation of Israel, and he said, look, I want you guys to worship me, and I'm, what I'm going to do is I'm going to make a tent, a tabernacle that I'm going to dwell in. And what I want for you to do is I want you to make, make this tent and there's going to be these artifacts that are out here and those are parts of worship. But then, then behind another curtain, like you've got an outdoor curtain and you've got a, the tent and then inside the tent there's another curtain and behind that curtain is the Holy of Holies and that's where I'm going to live. And you're going to make a special box, this golden box, and we know it as the Ark of the Covenant. And what goes in the Ark of the Covenant? What's the first thing in the Ark of the Covenant? The Ten Commandments. 
actually both copies of the Ten Commandments. Because the Ten Commandments aren't two tablets with the first five and then the second five. It's actually all of them are written down. That's your copy of the covenant. And then all of them are written down again. That's God's copy of the covenant. God makes a legally binding agreement and says, you can keep my copy because I will take care of it. And so God says, look, make this really... Worship and leading worship in my life. It's something that is a value for me and something that I care about. So I'm going to try and not jump on every hobby horse that's in this text. I'm going to try. I'm not making any guarantees. I'm just going to try. So worship that honors God reflects his character. His character is disclosed clearly through his word. And consider their position in history. Consider the position in history of the people that are in Corinth. So Jesus has come... He's died. He's come back to life. He's sent out the apostles and said, you're going to be my witnesses. And then they go out and they start planting churches. And Paul is kind of the last of the apostles that gets lumped in and gets sent out. And a lot of the things that we have written down as letters are written by Paul, and they're written to numerous churches. But the church in Corinth at the time where they got this letter, like this is the only letter they have from Paul at this point. They might not be aware, well, John probably hasn't written his gospel yet. They might not yet be aware clearly of what Mark wrote in his gospel. They might not know what was going on in the church of Ephesus and how that might relate to them. Like, these things were being written down at this time. Obviously, because they're getting the letter. Like, when they got the letter, it was the first time they'd ever read it before. I don't know, that's simple, but we don't think about it. We're like, well, they were Christians, so they had to have had 1 Corinthians. Like, no, they were Christians, and they didn't have it yet. The day before 1 Corinthians arrived in the mail, they didn't know what it said. And so for their position in history, when they gather together to worship God, I'm not certain how much of the word of God that they had. 
because Jewish people in synagogues like guarded that thing like, like rabidly. They, they valued the scripture so much that, and they kept it all centralized. And so it's possible that all they had was what they could remember from going to the synagogue. Whatever. Imagine if, if the only Bible you had accessible to you throughout the week was what you could memorize on Sunday morning. So their structure of their worship gathering looks a little bit different because of their place in history, but we shouldn't be surprised by that and it shouldn't make us uncomfortable. We shouldn't, be, we shouldn't read this and go, well, what do you mean there's so many prophets and there's so many people delivering an oracle from God? Like, God had just moved and completely changed the whole world and this was before the internet and it took some time for things to, to be established. And they're in the middle of the transition. Does that make sense? So when we read some of these things, we're like, well, that's not exactly how things work. Well, we have the published Word of God. All of us have at least one copy of Scripture in a language that we can understand. And if you don't, like, I'll give it to you as a gift. Like, you can, you can take one of these home. Like, that's what we do. That's what we're about. And if you don't take it from us, like, there are thousands and thousands and thousands of people who may not ever read it, but have the copy of the Bible on their phone. Like, the Bible is everywhere. And if, if, if our worship is supposed to be reflected by the centralized truth of the word, and our worship doesn't, it's not because we didn't know, it's because we didn't read it. Does that make sense? Okay. I'll get off some of my hobby horses here. <clears throat> but God gives us supernatural diversity for everybody's good. Everybody comes to contribute something. And God makes the diverse parts of his body serve and suffer together. We're all in it together. What God is doing in your life matters for me. What God is doing in your life matters for me because we're in community together. And if you're stumbling and you're struggling, sometimes I might have to just drag you along. And that's okay because sometimes you're going to have to drag me along. Sometimes there's going to be things that I don't get and you're going to be like, I think this is where we're supposed to, like, it's like, oh, okay. Now, I'm not the infallible word of God. There are things in here I don't understand. So I'm going to trust in Jesus and lean on his spirit to guide us into true worship of him. All right? So we started thinking about a concert, and usually in these kinds of things, a concert is like there's a show in the middle and everybody watches the show, right? And I think the one thing that maybe Queen got right, theologically, <laughs> was that is about the participation. If I get up and play a song, like everybody has a good experience, but if I get to contribute something, if I get to play along, and you can't do what you do without me, what does that melody sound like without that underneath it? Like if Freddie Mercury just gets, and he's got a great voice, he's very gifted, but if he just starts singing, I'm not even gonna try, he starts singing that line just by himself with nobody clapping along with him, like it's just, that's silly. They created something that was necessitated on audience participation. And so, if our worship looks like that, if it looks like a show in the middle and everybody's coming to watch, then we've missed it. If you don't sing when you come to church, you've missed it. And I don't say that as a criticism because you do. And it is such a blessing. It breaks my heart when I talk to other worship leaders and they're like, I just can't get my people to sing. And I'm like, I can't get them not to sing. If I told them not to sing, like they, they would riot. And that is so incredible because you guys don't come to watch the show. 
you come to participate in worship. I just want you to know that that's not everybody's experience. And that when you go to another church family, if you find one that doesn't participate, then either that's going to mean one of two things. One, you might have to teach them. Or two, you might have to go somewhere else. Or maybe a third option I haven't considered yet. God will lead you into that. Here's our question. Are we prepared to share God's work in our life week to week? If it matters, and if we're not just coming for a show, and if we all come to contribute something, if we collaborate to worship God in spirit and in truth, are we prepared to share God's work in our life week to week? Because I do a lot of planning. Like, I am the one who picks out our scripture readings for the morning. I'm the one who picks out what songs we do. I'm the one who picks out, well, me and Ryan collaborate on what texts we're going to be working through in the sermons. Like, I do a lot of that planning. But I'm not opposed to the idea that you come in on Sunday morning and say, I think we really need to read the scripture in our gathering this morning. There's something about this song that is really connected with my soul that's founded in the truth of of God and is reminding me of things that I had forgotten. Like we collaborate to worship God in spirit and in truth. So are we prepared to share God's work in our lives week to week? Because sometimes I just want to get in and get out. Be done. I'll stop there. There's a lot more. I told you I wouldn't ride all the hobby horses. So here's our big idea this morning. I fit into God's design for peaceful and orderly worship. I fit. Where do I fit? I fit into God's design for peaceful and orderly worship. I don't come to God and say, God, I need an experience. I need you to meet me here. I need 